Amanda Dabe. I'm podcasting from the home of the College World Series in Warren Buffett, Omaha, Nebraska. This is a pediatrician and training podcast. It is a resource for medical students and residents, and I'm your host. This podcast will cover high-yield topics, as well as interviews with pediatricians and pediatric subspecialists. I'm a first-year pediatrics resident at the University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha. I went to Tulane University in New Orleans for my undergraduate degree, and I received my medical degree from Creighton University School of Medicine. I just wanted to put up a brief disclaimer on these podcasts. So this, the information presented in this, blog, in this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It should not be construed as medical advice. This is general information and is not patient-specific. This information is not guaranteed to be correct, complete, or current. Uh, what I'm doing is I'm using this as an educational tool for myself and for you guys, and I'll be presenting topics after I research them and kind of discussing them from there. Okay, so today we're going to talk about hypoglycemia. Hypoglycemia is when your serum or plasma glucose is less than 40, the whole blood glucose is less than 35. Now, in neonates and older kids, safe levels is greater than 60 for blood glucose. Uh, so it's something to consider when you have a kid, they're either acting altered or something's just off, and you're in the emergency department, and they check a glucose, and you're like, oh crap, it's less than 40. The epidemiology of this varies from 1.3 to 3 every 1,000 live births. Early feeding decreases the incidence of hypoglycemia at birth, but there's other times when a kid can be hypoglycemic. The two peak times of onset of hypoglycemia are in the first year of life and after three years of age. Ketotic hypoglycemia is most common in kids greater than one year of age. Hypoglycemia is rare in those greater than five years of age. Now, what are the causes of hypoglycemia in the pediatric population? It may be due to insufficient amounts of endogenous non-glucose precursors such as alanine, lactate, and glycerol, or ineffective hepatic enzyme pathways. It could be to abnormal hormone activities related to insulin, growth hormone, cortisol, glucagon, and epinephrine, as well as poisonings versus toxins, salicylate, alcohol, propranolol, oral hypoglycemic agents such as sulfonylureas, insulin, pentamidine, and quinolones can also cause hypoglycemia. Tumors, some tumors can cause hypoglycemia, as well as malnutrition, malabsorption, chronic diarrhea, and postoperative hypoglycemia. Some of the risk factors for hypoglycemia in the pediatric population include being premature, having hypoxia, maternal diabetes, hypothermia, and IUGR. Those are more in like that neonatal period when a kid can be hypoglycemic. Uh, now, in terms of diagnosis, you want to think about what does a kid look like and what is the history and physical exam on this kid. In a kid greater than one year of age with hypoglycemia, they'll present with convulsions, motor incoordination, strabismus, and excessive irritability. Now, if they're an older child, they could have pallor, tachycardia, sweating. They could be limp. They could be staring, listless, altered mental status, and they could dis display signs of abdominal pain. Things to include on your differential for a kid with hyper hypoglycemia include hyperinsulinism, and this could be related to islet, islet cell dysplasia, islet cell adenoma, adenomatosis, Beckwith-Weidman, inborn errors of metabolism. That's more in that neonatal population as well as the younger newborn. Um, you could also think of Rye syndrome, galactosemia, ketotic hypoglycemia. And then if a kid has ketotic hypoglycemia, they'll, they'll kind of present being unresponsive, pallor, vomiting, and they could also have coma and convulsions. Some labs you want to check. Uh, at our institution, we have these things called the hypoglycemia labs. Most labs at different institutions will include a glucose check, an insulin check, as well as growth hormone, cortisol, uh, the 
in the serum, you'll have uh, beta-hydroxybutyrate, which is an indication for ketones in the serum. Urine ketones will be checked as well as a UA and UA with reflex to culture. You can also check a lactic acid. Um, and you may also look in the UA for the presence of amino acids, proteins, and urinary ketones. Now, if ketones are present in the urine, you also want to check the urine for amino acids, organic acids, urinary glucose, and non-glucose reducing substances. Now, if you give a kid glucagon and their hypoglycemia improves, this re response suggests hyperinsulinism. Hyperinsulinism will also have low fasting beta-hydroxybutyrate levels and free fatty acids. If the kid has inappropriate insulin secretion, insulin levels will be high relative to the blood glucose. A glu blood glucose infusion of greater than 12 mg per kg per minute will often be needed to maintain euglycemia. And then you can also use examinations of immunoreactive insulin and leucine tolerance tests to identify if a kid has inappropriate insulin secretion. If a kid has inborn errors in metabolism, so sometimes this should be pulled up at the newborn screen. So a newborn, you'll do these labs and it'll kind of show you if there are any inborn errors in metabolism, but sometimes they don't pop up and sometimes the kids may be variants where it will express later on in their, in their childhood. Um, you want to evaluate these at a pediatric metabolic center when the condition is stable and the blood glucose is normal. And then remember, this will go back to step one, but if a kid has been exposed to an exogenous source of insulin, the C-peptide will be suppressed and insulin antibodies may be present. And this could be a sign of, you know, someone else injecting them with insulin. In terms of imaging, you might want to consider an MRI and C or CT if you suspect hypopituitarism or if you suspect a G growth hormone deficiency. Now, in terms of management of hypoglycemia, you want to provide 2 to 4 mils per kg of 10 to 25% glucose IV. And remember, that can be diluted, and remember that you can only go up to 12.5% with peripheral IV for, for dextrose. You want to continue IV fluids to maintain plasma or serum glucose levels greater than 50 or 60. And then if you overcorrect, this can cause subsequent hyperglycemia, which may complicate your fluid management and can cause osmotic diuresis. So remember that you want to increase the glucose, but you don't want to just shoot them up from 50 to 300, because then you can have osmotic diuresis. Now, if a kid has significant hypoglycemia that does not resolve, say you're in the emergency department and a kid comes in and their glucose is like 45, you draw those hypoglycemia labs and you slowly infuse them with dextrose and they are able to maintain new glycemic levels, you may not necessarily need to manage them inpatient. But if on the other hand, a kid comes in and they are severely hypoglycemic and they need to continue IV fluids in order to maintain normal glucose levels, then you'll need to monitor them inpatient. Now, once you admit these kids, you also want to admit if you are unable to maintain new glycemic levels without IV support, as well as if there's documented hypoglycemia not caused by insulin therapy, you want to monitor them inpatient and refer for diagnostic testing. Another big thing with situations like this is refer to endocrine. So have endocrine on board, make sure that they're on board with your plan and you have someone to discuss things with. Now, taking a step back, when it comes to poison control and ingestions of either salicylates, alcohols, oral hypoglycemics, or alcohol, just something to note is that a pretty high dose of metformin is needed to cause hypoglycemia. It's greater than 1,700 milligrams. And if you were ingesting something like propranolol, you would not only have hypoglycemia, but you would have alterations in your heart rate and blood pressure as well. So phonyureas can cause hypoglycemia. So part of your history with these kids that present with hypoglycemia is really asking the parents what medications are available in the house. Um, has anybody, does anybody have access to insulin or oral hypoglycemics or propranolol? Um, just because those can be things that kids will get into. 
and it's stressful for parents, we want to figure out what the actual cause is of this hypoglycemia. We want to manage it pretty much the same, which is just getting them back to euglycemic levels. But in terms of evaluation and management, some of the management differs a little bit in terms of just monitoring and labs you can get versus a UDS or a plasma drug screen. Okay, this has been a pediatrician training. We've discussed hypoglycemia today. Big things. If you suspect it, get a good history and physical. Assess whether or not they're altered. You're going to admit if you can't manage to get them back up to euglycemic levels. You'll manage them inpatient and do further evaluation to figure out what's going on with their hypoglycemia and always try and get endocrine on board. The most common cause in kids greater than one year of age of hypoglycemia is ketotic hypoglycemia, where they'll have elevated beta-hydroxybutyrate levels and they'll be hypoglycemic. Good education in the post-hypoglycemic period will include talking to parents about manage their glucose at home, if the kids seem to alter, to check their glucose, and action plans, where will they go after this kid is hypoglycemic for further evaluation. Okay, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for podcast materials, please feel free to email at amandamaroldave at gmail.com. This has been a pediatrician in training.